Greetings and salutations and welcome to Full Time, brought to you by the Game Entertainment and Media, sponsored by Thresh Creative. Scott Nason with you on this mid-November edition of Full Time. This is the show that was formerly called the Game Sports Show Soccer Edition, but we wanted to kind of make it a little more interesting as far as our names or so co-host who is joining us once again this week. Daniel Scarpino came up with the idea of Full Time. I love it. Daniel, appreciate you giving us a great title for our soccer show, and welcome back to Full Time. Uh, it's fantastic to be here on Full Time. Happy that we were able to collaborate and think of a great name. And, uh, yeah, another positive step in the right direction for this wonderful podcast. And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here, Scott, and uh, uh, thanks for all who are tuning in uh, here today. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about, Daniel, so let's get right to it. Let's start with World Cup qualifying. Uh, Certainly lots going on during the latest international break in all regions, but of course we got to start with the region that is closest to us, CONCACAF, and and what a wild few days that we have had in the world of soccer here in North America. It started on Friday where the United States beat Mexico in Columbus by a very familiar score of dos a zero. And U.S. would follow that up last night. Uh, Not the best performance by U.S., but they got a point playing to a 1-1 draw. Canada continues to perform well. They topped Costa Rica at home last Friday, 1-0. And then last night, I'll tell you what, we were talking about this before this show and, and yesterday, taking on Mexico in Edmonton at the Stadio Ice Teca, as it's known mm-hmm. now in soccer circles, maybe one of the biggest, if not the biggest win in Canadian men's soccer history as the Canadians topped Mexico 2-1 to one in frigid conditions. And right now Canada tops the group after eight matches of play. And let's start with Canada, Daniel. Uh, that certainly was one of the more interesting matches I have watched and certainly a big one for Canada. They really dominated Mexico. Mexico did get a late goal, but obviously the conditions not favorable for a team from that part of the world and very favorable for the Canadians. Just your thoughts on Canada's performance and the United States both right now would qualify if the World Cup started or should say qualification ended today. Yeah, absolutely, Scott. And last night was, uh, a really memorable night for Canadian soccer. Uh, obviously, you know, having the chance to watch it, I was just on the edge of my seat the entire game. Uh, the two goals from Laram were just absolutely awesome. Um, I, I think that Canada under, under John Herdman, I think that they, they have a very specific set of, of tactics and, and a way of playing that is clear. So their identity is there. And last night was a superb performance. I'm not going to say it was a thrilling game in the sense that both teams played amazing because they didn't because of how you know cold the conditions were. But Canada has been doing what they've had to do all through this qualification phase. And last night, they put on display a really good performance. They had to get stuck in. They did just that. They, they showed their grit, tenacity, toughness, and they pulled out a huge result. And uh, first time that Canada beat Mexico since 2000. So um, a massive result. And right now, they are top the group. Still six games left to go. Still a lot of work to be done. But like you said, if the qualification ended today, Canada would be there, as would the United States. And uh, the state's obviously a huge result against Mexico, just like you mentioned earlier, Scott. And, uh, you know, obviously a little bit of a disappointing result in terms of only picking up one point in their most recent match. But at the end of the day, I think the United States is, is full of young, thriving talent as well. So I really can't see why Canada and the U.S., as long as they continue to do what they've been doing, 
um, I think that they'll continue to get what they've been getting, and that's what uh, and what they've been getting is points. So um, hopefully for for the states and Canada, they can continue to push on and get themselves to the World Cup. Yeah, looking at the standings right now in CONCACAF, Daniel, Canada top of the group, yet to lose with 16 points. The United States with 15, Mexico and Panama with 14. So it looks like those four teams are going to slug it out to get the three automatic qualifying spots. And then the fourth place team will go into a, a zonal playoff later on next year. And, and looking at the remaining schedule, Canada certainly doesn't have it easy. They have to play four of their last six fixtures on the road starting uh, in January, on January 27th, where they will take on Honduras. They'll also travel to El Salvador, Costa Rica, and end it in Panama. Canada has two home matches left, including a January 30th against the United States. No truth to the rumor that they're moving that match to Nunavut, although that might be an advantage <laughs> For Canada, U.S. has three at home, three on the road. Mexico has four at home, two on the road. So certainly lots still to sort out. But Canada and the United States, as you said, Scarps, have put themselves in a great position. And just one other thought on CONCACAF. You know, we're going to talk about some of the other regions, but I think there is no tougher group as far as going on the road than CONCACAF, mainly Mm. because of what we saw last night with the difference in climate. Uh, You go to the Central American parts, you got some pitch problems. We saw that a little bit with the United States and Jamaica. You just don't have those issues, I think, in Europe, in South America. The climate's the same. Basically, yes, there are some differences, but, man, it's tough to go on the road in CONCACAF, and certainly – you know, you win at home, you try to draw on the road, and if both the U.S. and Canada do that, they're going to qualify. Well, you're spot on, Scott. In terms of uh, the, the road games, CONCACAF definitely has the, the, the most difficult route traveled because, like you said, you go to the El Salvador's, the Honduras, uh, the Honduras is, you're, you're basically playing on things like cow pastures, you know. It's, yeah. it, these, are, these, are rough, these are rough pitches. So uh, that mixed with uh, various conditions with weather, yeah, it's always going to be difficult, but um, you know, with the six remaining games, 18 points up for grabs. I think if if the the United States and Canada are looking at let's say 14 points and above, I think that that's a qualification for me. And um, you know, again, as long as they've been doing what they've been doing, they'll keep getting what they've been getting, and that is points. So um, we'll see what happens here in these these last six games. But it's going to be an entertaining uh, it's going to be an entertaining finish here, Scott. It sure is. Canada looking to make their first World Cup since 1986. U.S. looking to make their first World Cup since 2014. Daniel, let's move on to Europe. We do know 10 teams that have automatically qualified via the group winners route in Group A, Serbia, with Mm -hmm. a little bit of a surprise going to Portugal and knocking off the Portuguese 2-1 to on their final match day to take the group. Spain in Group B edges out Sweden. Switzerland in Group C. Another surprise to me, qualified on the last match day with the win over Bulgaria and Italy, playing to a draw at Northern Ireland. France, uh, relative ease in Group D. They qualified Belgium in very much ease, qualifying Group E. Denmark even easier in Group F. Group G, G was decided yesterday with the Netherlands earning the automatic spot after topping Norway. Croatia in Group H, who knocked off Russia on the final match day to qualify. And England, having no trouble qualifying, uh, they outscored their opponents 39-3 to in Group I, and Germany easily winning Group J. Uh, Daniel, uh, a couple surprises there. Certainly Serbia, I think, would be the biggest surprise. Maybe Croatia, a slight surprise, but they always seem to perform well on the international stage. As far as those 10 group winners, uh, what surprises you the most? 
Well, I'm, I'm with you, Scott, 100% in terms of the surprises. Serbia, for me, is, is in fact the biggest one. I thought that they probably would always get that second spot, uh, but they went to Portugal, and uh, it was Mitrovic who ended up scoring that last-minute winner in, in stunning yeah. fashion, and they, they stood up Portugal, and uh, they went into that game, and, and they put everything on the line, and they got rewarded for it. So they deserve to be where they're at, despite the fact that it is surprising that uh, they got through. I wouldn't say in terms of Group C that Switzerland is is a huge surprise because they actually are a really good team. We saw that at yeah. the Euros. Um, but at the same time, I think Italy's been rather disappointing. Four wins, four draws. Um, defensively, they looked a pretty good outfit, but in the attack, to only, only score 13 goals in, in qualification, I think is a little bit poor, at least by their standards. Um, and then as far as the rest of uh, the groups go, yeah, Croatia is maybe a little bit of a surprise, like you said, but they always turn up on the big stage, don't they? So for me, yeah, it's uh, the big one has to be Serbia because uh, probably not too many people would have pegged that they would have won that group, and I certainly did didn't because I thought that Portugal was going to do it. Now, looking at the rest of Europe, still three more spots uh, to be handed out as far as World, World Cup qualifications. And it gets a little tricky because they've made some changes. I'm going to try to explain it as best I can. The 10 runners-up in the group stages automatically qualify for the playoff, as well as two teams that were, quote-unquote, parachuted in from the Nations League. So what they've done is they have a group of six teams that are seeded teams and another six that are unseeded, meaning that the seeded teams will host a semifinal. They're going to have the draw on November 26th, where the 12 nations will be drawn into three separate four-team playoff brackets. It's single elimination, and the six seeded teams are Portugal, Scotland, Wales, Italy, Russia, and Sweden. They will all host semifinals against either Turkey, Poland, North Macedonia, Ukraine, and the two parachuted nation league countries, that being the Czech Republic and Austria. They'll put them all in a, a hat. The only teams that can't meet are Russia and Ukraine because they got a little bit of a political unrest situation going right there. So basically, Daniel, they're going to put four teams into three different groups. They'll have two semifinals and then the final of that group. So three more spots to be handed out. And wouldn't it be something... Daniel, if Portugal and Italy are drawn in these, they can't play each other in the first semifinal, but they very well could in the second. It's it's kind of a confusing system, but basically single game elimination and home field advantage for many teams. Do you like the new format? Uh, I, have, I have to be perfectly honest with you, Scott. I, I really don't care much for it. Um, I feel like I don't want to say that they're just handing out spots to anybody because it's certainly not the case because the teams that are there deserve to be there. Of course, they've They've battled their way to get into a playoff spot. But I think, you know, even for myself, I had to look at it a few different times to really understand it. And although 100% now I do understand it, I'm not so sure that it uh, it maybe catches the essence of who should be in the tournament. The one thing I will say is that with, with one-off games, anybody can win. Over two legs, usually the best team wins. Yeah. And uh, almost like the, the, the previous format where, you know, you play your home and away leg, and if you, you win the aggregate, you, you get in via the playoffs. So, uh, for me, it's not it's not something that I admire or something that I really like, and I would say the same thing if Italy wasn't in it. Um, but that's just my kind of opinion on it. Scott, what what are you thinking about it? 
I agree with you. I, I like the two-legged system. Again, I think it's much like in the NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, yes. One game, anything can happen when you have a series or, in this case, a two-leg format. And, and I think it's fair because, you know, you've got a lot of second-place teams that were in their group, and all of a sudden now they're going to have to play just on the road. I don't like it. I don't like the Nations League involvement. I don't like the Nations League in general, like we talked about, I think, a couple yes. of shows ago. So I don't really like it, but certainly it's going to make for some exciting soccer. Uh, those semifinal matches will take place uh, next March on the 24th with the finals on the 29th of March. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for the mid-November edition of Full Time. And Daniel, we certainly could probably spend the entire show talking about World Cup qualifying. Just one other region I wanted to touch on, South America. Uh, teams have already qualified, being two, that Brazil and Argentina. No surprise there. They played to a nil-nil draw over the weekend. Uh, the top four teams in South America will qualify for the World Cup with the fifth place finisher going to a playoff. And it's certainly bunched up uh, down there. Ecuador third with 23, followed by Colombia and Purdue with uh, Purdue, Peru with 17 <laughs> points and Chile and Uruguay with 16. Uh, really no surprises there, Daniel. Kind of the same cast of characters in South America. Yeah, without doubt. And I think, uh, like you were just saying, pretty much spots four through eight. Uh, look like it's pretty jam-packed, and they're all within um, two points of each other, one or two points. So um, the usual cast of characters at the top with Brazil and Argentina, who just tied the other day. Um, but, of course, they're they're through. And uh, those other two spots, I think Ecuador should claim that spot, and then the fourth spot is up for grabs. So, yeah, spots four through eight, pretty, uh, pretty compact, and it'll be interesting to see who gets through. But one thing I will say about those games on, on that side is that uh, they're always incredibly – Physical, incredibly aggressive, and very entertaining to watch, Scott. Yeah, they are. That's uh, my favorite region other than uh, CONCACAF and uh, UEFA. And let's move on, speaking of UEFA, to the Champions League, Daniel, as match day five will begin next Tuesday and Wednesday as you're getting close to the uh, elimination round, or I should say the knockout stage of the Champions League. Uh, let's go through the groups two at a time. Scarp starting with uh, Group A as Manchester City and PSG both look to qualify. City with nine points, PSG with eight, Club Brugge with four, and Leipzig. They're eliminated with just one point. Uh, City will host PSG next Wednesday, uh, and that one looks pretty much clear-cut. Group B, Liverpool, they've already qualified for the knockout stage. They have 12 points and a perfect record, and certainly the battle will be for that second spot, as right now Porto with five points, Atletico Madrid with four, and AC Milan struggling with one. Uh, Porto will be at Liverpool on Wednesday, while Atletico will host Milan. Uh, really not a lot of surprise to me, Daniel, as far as those first two groups. No, it's really not, right, Scott? And, I mean, we said from, from the beginning that Group A, whether it was halfway through or a little over, that the, the two, Manchester City and, and PSG, they were going to be a step or two above, and they've already shown that now just past the halfway stage uh, of the groups in the Champions League, so they'll they'll both push through with relative ease, I should imagine. And then with Group B, obviously Liverpool have played some fantastic stuff in the Champions League, as they have in the Premier League, but Champions League, they've been really impressive. And then that second spot, I would say, is up for Porto or Atletico Madrid. have to say that Milan have been, uh, have been disappointing in the, um, in the Champions League, and it all kind of begs the question, are they just pretty much placing their focus in Serie A because they're doing a phenomenal job there? But uh, Group B, that second spot, will be uh, interesting to see if it'll be Porto or Atletico Madrid. At this point in time, I'd almost be tempted to say it's going to be Porto just because uh, 
I really like some of the stuff that they're playing, Scott. Yeah, they're playing a nice style, and I would agree. I think they get that second spot as well. Group C, Ajax, uh, just one point away from officially moving on to the next round, but with their 12-plus goal differential, they're basically assured a spot in the knockout stage. They have 12 points, and the competition in Group C will be for the second spot. A pretty fierce battle right now. Borussia Dortmund and Sporting both with six points, and Sporting will host Borussia on Wednesday. Beskidis basically eliminated zero points in a minus 10 goal differential. A Group D, nothing sorted out in this group at all. As Real Madrid topped the group with nine points, Inter Milan with seven. Sheriff Tirsapol uh, fading a bit now with six points, and Shakhtar Donich basically done. They have one point. Uh, Inter will host Shakhtar on Wednesday, while Sheriff, they're going to basically need to win at home against Real Madrid. Uh, those two groups, Daniel, again, I, I was real high on that Ajax team, and boy, they've uh, proven me right. They, they look good. Oh, they're stunning, aren't they? 14 goals for, just two goals conceded. They play some outstanding football, so disciplined, and they are a joy to watch. And like you said, it's pretty much a battle for the second spot. I'd like to think that Dorman's going to get it, but who knows, it very well could be sporting. And if you take the form team right now, it's actually sporting because they've won their last two games, whereas Dorman have dropped their last two. So we'll see what happens with that second spot, but definitely Ajax look impressive. Um, and then in Group D there, Real Madrid, they're going to look to put the nails in the coffin and try and get uh, a little bit of uh, – to be solidified, I suppose you could say, at the top of the group. Um, I think Inter still should probably get that second spot. But like you said, Sheriff, uh, they're kind of just starting to fade out now. They they rolled that momentum towards the beginning of the group stage, but now you can kind of see that the top two teams are showing that why they should be the top two teams. But I suppose anything can happen, and uh, we'll 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 see what happens. But I still think that Madrid and Inter will will get those top two spots there, Scott. And Daniel, for Sheriff, there's still something to play for because if you finish third place, you go down to the Europa League. While many teams in the Champions League would think that's, you know, a, a, not a good thing or certainly not interest, a team like Sheriff coming out of Moldova, they still got a lot to play for. Oh, without though, yeah, there's there's no question about that because if they get into the Europa League and they can do well there, that's massive for that country. That's massive for that club. So yeah, if they can get that third spot, which I believe that probably. They would do if they can't get one of the top two spots. I think that uh, right. they still have plenty to play for. You're definitely right. Group E, uh, Bayern Munich, uh, to no one's surprise, through to the knockout stage with 12 points. And again, a good battle for second place in that second spot. Uh, Barcelona has righted the ship a bit. Uh, we'll talk more about them and their new manager in a little bit. Uh, they have six points. Uh, Benfica with four. And uh, Dynamo Kiev uh, pretty much facing a must-win in their final two matches with just one point. Dynamo is at Bayern Munich on Tuesday, while Bar- Barcelona will host Benfica. Win by Barcelona will basically lock up that second spot. And in Group F, very competitive and nothing sorted at all as Manchester United and Villarreal both atop the group with seven points, Atalanta with five, and Young Boys still alive with three points. The Young Boys, they're going to need to win at home against Atalanta to stay alive on Tuesday while Villarreal will host Manchester United and certainly uh, still lots of talk with Man U and uh, their manager as far as their, you know, him being around here over the next few weeks. But <laughs> Man U still got a lot to play for in the Champions League. Uh, your thoughts on those two groups? Yeah, I mean, in terms of Group B, it's, I suppose, a foregone conclusion in terms of Bayern keeping that group uh 
theirs, if you will, four wins, no draws, no losses, a goal difference of 15, which is just absolutely ridiculous. But um, they've played some stunning stuff, and I think that they're obviously a stunning team. Barcelona trying to gain some form now, still you know, only having scored uh, two goals. They don't look uh, formidable in the attack, but obviously we'll talk about their new manager, like you said, in a little, in a little bit and some of the new things that he's doing there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Benfica's right on their tail. So it'll be interesting to see who gets that second spot. And then as for Group F, I mean, uh, you take a look at the top there, Man United, they're there. We could talk, we could have a whole podcast on them just alone, Scott. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Villarreal are right there. Um, they haven't lost their manager, Una Emre, so that's a positive sign for them. And uh, obviously still a lot to play for in that group because it's one of the tightest groups uh, in the Champions League, Scott. We thought Group G was going to be up for grabs, Scarps, and it certainly is. Uh, right now, Salzburg uh, topped the group with seven points, Lille and Wolfsburg with five, and Sevilla with three. Uh, Sevilla's going to need to win on Tuesday as they host Wolfberg, Wolfsburg, rather, while Salzburg will be at Lille. And in Group H, uh, Juventus threw to the knockout stage with 12 points. Chelsea basically threw with nine points and a plus-five goal differential. Right now, St. Petersburg, uh, Zenit St. Petersburg, I should say, has three points, and Malmo has been eliminated. Chelsea look to officially punch their ticket to the knockout stage on Tuesday as they will host Juventus, while Zenit needs a win and a ton of help as they will be in Sweden to take on Malmo. Uh, we, we really know, Daniel, that Juventus and Chelsea will be through, and in Group G, uh, anything's possible at this point. Oh, yeah, and we were saying this uh, before, you know, anybody even had a roll of the ball in the Champions League, that Group G was going to be the toughest one to call, and we were saying that there was no way that you or myself was going to be able to, we're going to be able to pick a winner because it was so difficult, and it's proven to be as such a very tight group, so I'm interested to see what happens, and even now, four games in, two games remaining, I still don't have a clue who's going to top that. It looks like it's going to be Salzburg, but... I mean, who the heck knows, really? And then uh, in Group H, again, foregone conclusion. We know Juventus and Chelsea will be there. It's just a matter who gets uh, top spot. So it'll be between those two for sure, Scott. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you on this edition of Full Time, presented by Thrush Creative. And, Daniel, let's move on and finish our show with the Big Five domestic leagues in Europe, who will be resuming play this weekend. And let's start in the Premier League, uh, certainly some news uh, from that league uh, right now as far as the standings. Chelsea still atop the table after 11 matches played with 26 points. Man City and West Ham in second with 23 points. Liverpool in fourth with 22. And hard-charging Arsenal up to fifth with 20 points. And uh, there was some news over the last couple of days that the chairman of the Premier League, uh, Gary Hoffman, is set to announce his resignation following the controversy over the Saudi-led takeover of Newcastle United. And this is a guy that's kind of been under the gun a lot, not just for that, but as well as uh, some of the teams maybe wanting to go to that Super League that mm-hmm. is no longer as such. And so just your thoughts on overall Premier League and some of the things that you're noticing. Well, one of the things I'm noticing, obviously, with the pandemic, it's been really tough and, and folks have been out of work. So what I would suggest to those who are listening, if anybody's looking for job security, don't become a manager in the Premier League because uh, no, no. no, just just don't do it. <laughs> Five managers have already been sacked this season. It's been a really tough goal. But uh, apart from the managerial side of things, more on the football side of things, Chelsea look really impressive. Man City are, are, are right there. Obviously, they're always capable of dropping a game based on the way that they play. But uh, West Ham as well, they've uh, they've been phenomenal under David Moyes. Liverpool, I think as long as they can keep their starting 11 healthy, I think that they're always in a good position. There's 
some places up for contention this weekend when they play against Arsenal. Apparently nine of their first team players might not be able to play, so we'll see what happens there. Arsenal certainly taking a, a couple of steps in the right direction. Man United taking steps in the wrong direction. And the rest of the table is pretty much as tight as you'd imagine. And then it's the battle of the bottom with Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been exciting so far. 11 games have been played and definitely looking forward to uh, to the remaining games, Scott, because we know as, uh, as we've been watching down the years that the Premier League, anything can happen. And you mentioned uh, five managers already being sacked, and one of those managers just got rehired from uh, from Norwich City as Dean Smith. Mm-hmm. No, not the college basketball coach at North Carolina, but the manager now for Norwich City as he was sacked about five weeks ago by Aston Villa. And one other note on the Premier League, Daniel, I came across this today, of course, you're seeing more and more coverage in the United States, and I would imagine Canada with the Premier League, and they're set to uh, have a very big payday with uh, mm-hmm. American companies, CBS, ESPN, and NBC. They're all fighting it out as far as who will be securing the league's TV rights. Uh, right now, NBC holds the rights here stateside. Uh, they got their deal a few years ago worth $1 billion. The new deal scheduled to be worth a whopping $2 billion. We always know, always know rather, that soccer is a big money business and the Premier League clubs are going to benefit from this TV contract where a lot of their revenue comes in. But boy, $2 billion to broadcast soccer in the United States, I never thought I'd see that day. No, it's incredible, isn't it? And, and as far as soccer goes, I mean, money does talk and it's the Premier League who drives that car. Um, so when it comes to, uh, yeah, the TV rights, I think it's, uh, it's incredible the amount of money that's in it. But at the same time, it's, it's not surprising given the way that things have changed and obviously coming out on the other side of the pandemic now that, you know, money starting to increase once again. So, um, yeah, it's incredible in terms of, uh, in terms of the, the amount of money being poured into it. But, um, as for, as for Dean Smith, I was reading an article actually this morning. And he said that uh, he's just the type of person that loves to work. And he said from the age of 16, the longest that he's ever been without a job, not just in soccer, but in any facet of life, four weeks. He's wow. always had a job in any way, shape or form. So um, good for him that he's uh, now back in the Premier League after a very short period of time being away. But um, he sure, certainly has his work cut out for him at Norwich. Yes, he does. Uh, Norwich in the relegation zone as we speak. Uh, Daniel, let's move on to La Liga in Spain. Uh, first, the standings, and then we'll talk a little bit about Barcelona. Uh, after 13 matches, Real Sociedad continued to impress and are top of the table with 28 points. A uh, good battle going on there. Uh, Real Madrid and Sevilla with 27, Atletico with 23, while Real Betis in fifth with 21 points. Barcelona, they continue to struggle domestically. They're in ninth place. However, they have a new manager. Xavi Hernandez will have his first match this weekend against City rivals Espanyol. I think I got that name right. Uh, Certainly, Mm -hmm. Barca is having some issues, but you and I talked about it between our last broadcast and this one, uh, the move to get Hernandez. I like it. 41 years old. Uh, it's the club he loves. It's, it's, you know, he's a hometown guy. I think this is a good fit for Barca. What say you? Well, for me, the, the one thing I do want to say, just looking at the top of the table, is the David Silva effect is a real thing because Real Sociedad are playing some magnificent football this season. Yeah. And uh, for all intents and purposes, the top four looks very, very competitive. So anything can happen. As, uh, as for Barcelona, yes, in ninth place. But as you just mentioned, Javi is the new manager. Again, young. 
coming into the job for a club that he absolutely adores. And uh, I don't have the list in front of me, but he implemented 10 new rules the moment that he came in the door at Barcelona, trying to, to get them back to the, the Barcelona that we, we once knew, Scott, one that entertained and, and pretty much played just about anybody off the park. So it'll be interesting to see what he does there. I have faith that he can get Barcelona back to where they need to be. And he probably came in at the perfect time, international break, having that extra week to just work on the training ground with the players. I think this is a really good time for him to come in. So I'm interested to see now if Barcelona can climb up the table. If I was a betting man, Scott, I'd say that they would. I am a betting man, Daniel, and I say they will as well. Uh, Moving (laughs) on to Serie A in Italy, a tie atop the table after 12 matches with Napoli and AC Milan sitting on 32 points. Inter is third with 25, Atalanta fourth with 22, and Lazio with 21. Uh, Juventus still a little further down as their focus seems to be on the Champions League. And uh, one other note on Serie A, Daniel, but uh, first your thoughts as far as how things have gone so far. Well, in terms of how things have gone so far, I think that Napoli and Milan have shown that uh, they are, they're seeming to be at least a step above everybody at at this point in the season. Um, They're almost a third of the way through so it's uh it's interesting to see with the identical records that they have and I would say even though it's relatively early that either one of those sides would have to have a pretty significant dip in form in order for someone else to to really come up and start to take over whether it's Inter, Atalanta, Lazio or somebody else but um the top two teams Scott they look impressive and the rest of the league uh is looking to I suppose play catch up if you will. One other Serie A note, Daniel, that I came across involving Lazio as they had a very uh, interesting person on their match day squad uh, a couple weeks ago as they took on Verona, the great-grandson of Benito Mussolini as the squad Mm -hmm. brought Romano Florani Mussolini onto the club ahead of the match as uh, according to this report, uh, Mussolini decided to use both his surnames when playing soccer. He told the Italian media that he wasn't being judged by his last name, but instead just to play on the pitch as he signed with Lazio's youth squad back in February. Uh, nothing really of note other than just a Mussolini playing in Serie A. <laughs> Again, things I didn't expect to say, that would be one of them. I agree with you. It's always interesting stuff in Italy, but... Uh... You can always expect the unexpected, uh, shall we say. Let's just hope his nickname isn't Il Duce. Let's just say, I hope he's got a different <laughs> nickname there. A uh, yes. couple other leagues, Daniel, before we wrap it up. Uh, in the Bundesliga, uh, Bayern Munich continues to lead after 11 matches with 28 points. Borussia Dortmund giving them a good battle so far in second place with 24. Freelberg in third with 22. And Wolfsburg in fourth with 19. Uh, certainly, this uh, this league looks like it's buyers to to lose, and by their play on the pitch, I don't think they're going to really be challenged seriously. What say you? No, I'm 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 with you, Scott, and I'm not going to suggest that Byron's untouchable. They seem to be that way, at least in the Champions League. But they have drawn a game, they've lost a game, and they probably will pick up a few more results like that. But the interesting point for me is is when you take a look at Byron, they're nearly averaging four goals a game, Scott. And yeah. at least by soccer terms, that's it's unfathomable. Like it just really doesn't happen. Three is almost unfathomable. So they're they're really walking this league, I would say. And I have no doubt that they'll uh, that they'll be host, hoisting the, uh, the the league title come uh, come May. But uh, the rest of the league, again, it's 
it's competitive and all the teams are scoring goals. So the, the Bundesliga is always a really good watch for sure. Well, speaking of a team that's running away with a league PSG in League One in France, after 13 matches, they have 34 points. The real battle is going to be for second right now. Uh, Lens has 24 points, followed by Nice and Marseille with 23, and Stad Rennes with 22. And uh, I expect PSG, Daniel, might have this league clinched by Valentine's Day. Well, it'd be Valentine's Day or they're just about because, uh, I mean, again, we've been saying this before the season even started, Scott, that this is always going to be uh, a foregone conclusion that something would ca- have to be catastrophic in terms of uh, PSG not winning. So, um, yeah, they're 10, points, uh, they're 10 points clear at the top. Uh, they've been playing some great stuff, as we knew, th- knew that they would do. And uh, again, their focus, you'd have to imagine, is is being on the Champions League and making sure that they perform at the absolute highest level there. A lot of rumblings right now with Maurizio Pochettino. Can he go somewhere else after this season and, you know, potentially manage a a squad like uh, Manchester United or something like that? But uh, again, at the end of the day, we know PSG is going to walk a league or it's a matter of how well can they do in the Champions League. Final thoughts, Daniel, before we let you go, I wanted to mention uh, talking about the Canada-Mexico game from last night. I I tried to share a clip with you uh, via the text, but apparently it couldn't get across the border. (laughs) But if you have a chance, uh, and this is mainly for our Canadian listeners, because here in the United States, you can watch a lot of these matches on some of the uh, Spanish language stations. And because that's the only station I could get, the Canada-Mexico match on last night. Uh, the broadcaster was Andres Cantor, and this guy is the GOAT of soccer <laughs> broadcasters, in my opinion. He has the famous goal call, which I won't try to emulate because I won't have a voice by the time we're done. But if you have a chance, just go on YouTube and just type in Canada versus Mexico soccer and look for, I believe it's Univision or one of those stations, and just watch about an eight-minute highlight clip from those that match last night and listen to the call and, and see the sights. It was something else. Uh, any final thoughts for you, sir, before we end full-time? No, I, I, as soon as we get off this, uh, this call, Scott, I will be YouTubing that for sure. But uh, in terms of final thoughts, just uh, it'll be – not not to suggest that I don't like international breaks, because of course I do, because you get to watch some entertaining international clashes, and we always look forward to major competitions, World Cup, Euros, etc. But it'll be nice now, uh, coming towards the Christmas period, we'll have so much to talk about uh, domestically, because there's going to be so many games, they're going to come thick and fast. So uh, another great show with you, Scott, and uh, for those who are listening, thanks uh, for tuning in, and uh, there's going to be plenty more to come, especially as the holiday season uh, comes around. We have come to the end of full time on our mid-November edition. For Daniel Scarpino, my name is Scott Mason. We'll be doing another show here probably in a few weeks, uh, sometime around early December. Daniel, appreciate you joining us as always, and uh, certainly we'll talk to you here in a couple weeks because the world of soccer never stops. It just continues, and it's great that it does. Always a pleasure, Scott. Always a pleasure. All right, that's going to do it for our edition here of full time. Sponsored by Thrush Creative, we will talk to you here in early December for our next edition. Have a great night.